Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. Does that mean then there's like a moment in which they like look at you like sat down at the restaurant and they're like, surprise me. And like, <laughs> Oh, yes, I'm also Antonigo. And they bring me, yeah. that's the thing. They bring me the movie, which reminds yeah. me of an earlier movie that I have seen, which is the movie Ratatouille. And I have the yeah. Ratatouille Proustian moment, except with the movie that reminds me of Ratatouille, like his Ratatouille reminded him of his mother's Ratatouille. Oh, this is brilliant. Yeah. This is excellent. <laughs> and then, of course, there will be a big dance party. Yeah. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the heart. Great. I'll be back. Here's Johnny. The wizard. They call me Mr. Tibbs. supposed to blow the bloody doors off well good movies bonjour 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 welcome to well good movies the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching even if there are some duds along the way i'm your host david osger and i'm joined by the cowboy to my indian greg mcdonald hello greg I just want to check, before the recording, you said, okay, I need to brush up on my French. Was that just so you could say bonjour, bonjour, bonjour? <laughs> it was for the name of this film. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you can see this is how the dynamic of us being cowboys and Indians, considering all I seem to do is just hunt you down. Yeah, I'm kind of worried if you do have like a, a sort gun <laughs> hidden somewhere <laughs> at the moment. Or maybe even... Let, Let's not make this sound any more sexual than it needs to be, David. <laughs> um, so as we alluded to there, Craig, we talk about movies well worth watching, despite duds along the way. Uh, so just to tease the audience at home, and uh, this is probably the one which I have the least idea about whether <laughs> what your answer is going to be. Uh, but yeah, was it a dud or well worth watching? Honestly, David, I think I'm in love. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's going to be um, some some French music going on later on, <laughs> some piano. Craig's going to be playing piano by the end of this uh, podcast. So yeah, we'll find out uh, why Craig is in love later on. Uh, but for those who didn't catch our previous episode, how on earth did we get to this film, Craig? And uh, can you give us a recap on what we talked about in the previous episode? Yeah, so in last episode Endgame, it was a climactic battle between Paul Hunt and Kalichi. Um, and in the end, just because of having a little bit more RNG luck at guessing whether or not a character's from the Dis- uh, from the DC universe or not, uh, Paul was victorious, and he decided that because we were looking for what we would describe as a niche animated film, he suggested to us a town called Panic. And honestly, I don't know how you can get any more niche than this film. It is a film entirely of stop motion and just weird badly painted little figurines and yet here we are we are discussing this film i also think this is the first film that we've actually covered on this podcast which is not in english that's true actually yeah yeah i didn't think that and uh 
I also love Paul's link of, you know, the reason that we've talked about previous films is directors and people who star in them. His link was just pure chaos, just the theme of chaos. (laughs) So um, Yeah, because we were talking about the Dark Knight and the entire premise of that film being the Joker, uh, being the arbiter of chaos, turning people in, uh, turning people such as Harvey Dent into Two-Face, being another uh, agent of chaos. With the coin flip, he's just, no, I'm just going to take it in the comical sense of just this is an entirely weirdly slapstick sort of film that just I have no idea what's going on. Exactly. It's uh, Yeah, it'll be a fun one to dive into today. And uh, thankfully, we got some fantastic guests with us to be talking all about it. So yeah, we'll be discussing A Town Called Panic uh, later on and undertaking our usual task of deciding whether it goes into the movie vault, our vault of movies that celebrate chosen films for all time but first of all, let's go to those guests who will be discussing today's film with us. Uh, they are both returning guests, uh, but it's been a while since we've uh, spoken to them both, so it'll be a good chance to catch up. First of all is uh, lecturer and animation expert, Dr. Sam Summers. Hello, Sam. Hello. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Uh, I hope you're okay. I know you've been uh, under the weather. <laughs> I've, I've had a bit of the old uh, the coronavirus. I don't know if you've heard of it. Coronavirus. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a niche disease. Yeah, um, not sure. Sort of. I would say the the biological equivalent of a town called Panic. You know, it's kind of a bit out there. Not many people are into it yet. But let me tell you, when you catch it, you'll know about it. <laughs> yes, uh, it's kind of like they're like cowboy and stuff, just like madly dotting around, like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's been. This is my second round of the vid. And uh, it is not as bad as the first one, to be honest. Um, I had had a bit of Delta. That was fun. Omicron, sort of the slightly less impactful sequel. Um, But it's it's, it's not bad. Yeah, it's uh, and and more of these variants come out. They sound more and more like Transformers to me as well. Which so uh, (laughs) yeah, Omicron. (laughs) So I don't know if by the end of this, if you are collecting all of the Transformers to (laughs) to eventually become some sort of transforming planet. Sam, maybe that's that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah, well, last time you were on, we had a fantastic chat all about Shrek, which was well-timed with the anniversary. There was a lot of stuff going on at that time in terms of Twitter, people talking, you know, about, like, dissing Shrek, and then, you know, you were there defending Shrek online. Uh, it was really well-timed, and, yeah, we were just talking about, like, the, you know, the franchise as a whole, so specifically talking about the first film, the second film, kind of DreamWorks as a whole. And uh, that was before your Shrek symposium. So since then, you've held that and you've held sort of other sort of educational events as well, looking at DreamWorks. How, how have they all been? Yeah, um, fun times. The Shrek symposium, two decades of Shrek an academic symposium is what I think it was called. It was a it was a while ago. That was back in November. Um, yes, that was great. We had like around a hundred people rocked up on Zoom um, to watch academics from all sorts of different fields talk about different aspects of the movie Shrek. It was uh, honestly a right laugh. One of my favorite things I've ever done, to be honest. Um, only shame, I guess, was that it was on Zoom and not in person. But then more people could attend on zoom so that's a benefit as well really and uh, hopefully within the next if i'm being honest couple of years you'll probably see the um the conference in book form as well with people writing up their their talks as chapters in a book that's the that's the plan for the next step of my shrek journey it's gonna gonna be 
following you for the rest of your life now, Sam. <laughs> Just like you'll have Shrek on your grave. <laughs> I, I know. I really hope not. I think I was so. I, I like I, I did my PhD on Shrek. That started in 2014, and then I turned that into a book that came out in 20. 20 and then i was like all right that's it that's me done with shrek and then i was like oh actually no crap it's the anniversary next year i'm gonna have to do something for that and now that looks like it's gonna turn into a book so that's at least another two years of shrek and yeah it's just just when i think i'm out he pulls me back in with his big strong green hands that just sounds like a second verse of Shrek is life, Shrek is love. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's what it feels like. Shrek has been both life and love for me, uh, non-consensually, for the last, oh God, eight years. That's <laughs> too long. And, and Puss in Boots has just had a trailer as well. He's, you know, even that guy's <laughs> following you. <laughs> yeah, like, Puss in Boots is back. When was that? Like the last film was like, what, 2010 or something like that? It was, it's yeah, there about between it. So It's... I mean, that's got to be a stealth like setup for Shrek Five, right? It has to be. Yeah. They're definitely going to do it. Um, if there's a Puss in Boots movie coming out, surely there'll be a post-credit scene teasing whatever's next for Shrek. It's got to happen. Yeah, it's just uh, one of the characters comes in like I'm from the the Fairy Tale Initiative. <laughs> they're gathering all all the DreamWorks heroes together. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Maybe it's Jerry Seinfeld comes in as in the bee and <laughs> <laughs> assembles them all. <laughs> the DreamWorks Avengers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously we uh, saw become aware of you, Sam, through uh, the Disneyversity podcast as well. Uh, recently, it's been very fun. I know as a listener, this was a sort of era of Disney that I was looking forward to hearing uh, yourself and uh, your host, Ben Travis, talk about, which is the dark age of disney so you guys have been going through all of the kind of in between the renaissance which was little mermaid aladdin and everything like that and coming after things like sleeping beauty so you've had some wonderful discussions about things like fox and the hound and what i loved was you guys talking about oliver and company for like two hours like one of your longest discussions ever because i know that that album has been like on my itunes for years you know especially why do i worry so to hear two people sort of loving that for like two hours i was like yes this this is perfect <laughs> yeah it was really apt that that turned into our longest episode ben hadn't seen it before i wasn't sure if he was gonna like it anywhere as much as i do i've been obsessed with it for years um you know it's it's got everything you would want it's got new york it's got like weird slightly out of place in a Disney movie references to modern culture. It's got Billy bloody jewel. It's got everything you need, man. And Ben loved it as well. And it ended up being our longest episode, which I was, I'm just, I, I love that we managed to do that, that we managed to go for so long, like about twice as long as we talked about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. We talked about <laughs> Oliver and company. And and I did very much appreciate the the Beth Midler love as well singing the singing the song from that at, at, in, there's been times in the past in which I was like oh I need like some sort of like morning song some song like as an alarm I was like maybe that song like she's like waking oh, up oh yeah that. she's waking up putting her makeup on girl we got work to do yeah, yeah perfect great great it's way the, to wake up it's always the ending of that song that I just have ingrained in my mind I don't know why just just the way she sort of strolls well, I say I say she is in Bette Midler, obviously the dog character played by Bette Midler. <laughs> just strolling down the stairs, just 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 belting it out and just Yeah, I, I also am on the bandwagon for love for Oliver and Company. 
once I can get past uh, um, Once Upon a Time in New York City, which genuinely bums me out a little bit too much, then the film, yeah, it's a great time. I'm glad I'm in a pro Oliver and Company room. It's great company to be in. And um, of course, at the moment, you're coming on when the Oscars are about to happen. So that is always a big part of the animation community is sort of awards season. Um, you got the animated feature film category for the Oscars, which tends to be dominated by Disney a lot of the time. When's this? When does this? When does this episode go out? Will this be after the Oscars? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this will be after the Oscars. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay, I didn't think that through, did I? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, in that like, case, <laughs> Sam, how you, how happy are you about the winner of the Oscars? <laughs> um, so Sam from the past thinks that Encanto is probably going to win, but I would like the Mitchells versus the Machines to win. I think that's easily the best animated movie from last year. I liked Encanto a lot. Uh, I liked it's a it's a it's a strong year. Raya and the Last Dragon, not my favorite Disney movie um luca the pixar film i thought is a really great film from them i think that's one of the best they've done in a while and flea is the other one the danish animated documentary which is the first film to be nominated for best animation best documentary and best foreign film which is amazing in and of itself i suspect it might win documentary but it'll not have a chance in animation because everyone just all all the old people who don't even watch movies anymore just vote for whatever the grandkids like and this year i think that's going to be encanto so uh mitchell's and the machines should have won but encanto will have won that's where i think we're going to be at when this episode goes out over to our next guest who also has uh usual opinions on the oscars and all the films that are coming out as well he's joined us previously uh, last time we were talking about james bond uh, but a completely different <laughs> sort of category today uh, it is filmmaker and writer niall glynn hello niall hey how's it going going good going good how are you good i'm, I'm a little miffed to be honest because you've oh, got okay. sam on here and sam of course has this shrek symposium and all that and you know like i'm doing my masters on the boss baby so I feel you just added a lot of unnecessary <laughs> rivalry to the night. Well, well, hang on. Back up. You're doing the Masters on the Boss, baby. No, this was a bit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I, I was really thrown. I know, I know people who, who do academic work on the Boss, baby. I was speaking at a, a conference about the Boss, baby a, a couple of months ago. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got a <laughs> I've got an article coming out about the boss baby in uh, an upcoming book, the Oxford Companion to Children's Film. Uh, Oxford are publishing my piece on the boss baby, so I thought it was feasible. <laughs> oh. I was going to say a legitimate source to cite there. Yeah, I'd love it if you never found out it was a bit and like that I was invited to some sort of academic conference. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be on the phone. Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> but I, I would literally be a baby in a suit. I wouldn't know what I'd be doing. <laughs> oh, even when I do a bit, I just show how little I know. I'm not an expert at anything in particular, but happy to be on. Yeah, we, you know, we're talking about animation and stuff now as well, which is, you know, a big part of filmmaking and, you know, awards season and that kind of stuff. And I know you've kind of had, you know, your turbulent relationship over the past or two years with, you know, these Disney films and Pixar, etc. What What's your kind of history with, with animation and Pixar, Disney, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I, the first film I actually ever remember seeing in the cinema was A Bug's Life. And before that, I'd known I'd, see to- I'd seen Toy Story like a hundred times. And that was kind of like my big thing as a child was Pixar films. And I, it's funny because I always thought there was a distinction 
and it might be to do with how they wrote their films or approached them, where I never quite took to Disney films the same way, even at like that kind of age where you latch onto these things. Although my school, for some reason, kept showing us all the really old, scary ones. So those are the ones I remember best being traumatized by. But no, um, yeah, I have my ups and downs with both companies now. Like like Sam said, I thought Luca was excellent. And I was also very lukewarm on Soul. I think it's weird. I'm enjoying the fact their current films are focusing on what if kids have problems rather than like, what if your soul is a ghost and it's Jamie Foxx and a cat and it's Tina Fey? And yeah, it's just spaghetti, you know? And uh, I'm I'm really bad this year. I think I've only seen Luca and Raya. Those are the only two of the Oscar-nominated animated films I've seen. Oh, oh, you haven't seen Encanto? You haven't seen Mitchell's? No, and I, do you know why? And I feel bad is because they were... Well, Mitchell's was obviously always streaming. It's like, if these things... If that was in cinemas, I would have seen it. But there's something to do with, like, sitting down to watch it. I just don't enjoy as much. That's why I haven't watched Turning Red as well. That's the other side of the coin, isn't it? Because you can talk about how streaming brings these things to a wider audience, especially in a pandemic, but a cinema release draws attention to them in different ways. Like often streaming films don't get covered by the mainstream movie press in the same way that films do if they go to the cinema. So, yeah, I would say sit yourself down, treat yourself to... All, all three of those movies are, are, are really good. Turn and Red's excellent. Mitchell's is fantastic. Encanto's good. Uh, yeah, oh, definitely... Have a, yeah. have a night, man. You could get through all of those in like four hours. Yeah, it's true. I, I have my current rule with Disney Plus, and Dave, I think, knows this because we are on a Star Wars podcast together, is I usually wait till there's a Star Wars thing out I want to watch, like a show, and that's when I get a month of Disney Plus to cover me for that. And then if there's other stuff on it, I'll catch up on that as well. Lastly, now I'll talk about Disney Plus. Uh, obviously, we're talking about animation and stuff like that, and I suppose that's where two kind of worlds collided, where we previously talked about star wars and you said about the monday lorians earlier as a star wars podcast what did you think of star wars visions do you think that's a you know a great example of you know streaming being used for getting animation out there in a different way yeah this is one of those well if, if you know me on the monday lorians i'm always like ha- usually half complaining about something even though <laughs> i like to pretend to be positive but no i thought i thought this was like just excellent you know as an example of just letting people kind of go hog wild with a concept and not tying it down to uh, meeting like brand guidelines, which I know Lucasfilm could be very tight with. And yeah, just really creative. And I, I've got very limited patience for anime generally. There's nothing against it. Just a lot of the time it doesn't, it doesn't quite work for me. Like I went to see Belle, which is like, which, have you seen it, Sam? Yes, notably not nominated for no, Best nominated. Animated Feature, uh, which is a shame because I'm assuming you're about to say that you didn't like it, but I thought it was great. I thought it was better than uh, several of the films that are nominated. Yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I don't dislike it. I, I admire it more than I enjoy it, if that makes sense. I think it had, it had a great head in its shoulders and interesting themes. It's just, oh my God, I, I can't stand these songs. I mean, the songs are aimed at Japanese teenage girls, so I don't think you're necessarily yeah. the audience. But yeah, I can <laughs> I can stand by that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, back to Star Wars, which I like to talk about anything but apparently. Um, yeah, no, I thought Visions was just excellent. Even the episodes where I didn't like as much, I thought were really creative and beautifully done. And it just felt like such a, a kind of natural thing for that series which took so much from japanese cinema 
to kind of put it in the hands of like Japanese creatives and say, kind of take your culture and almost make it more prevalent than the sci-fi stuff in some of them. Like I love the samurai designs really thrown full throttle at the viewer. Yeah, it's just really terrific stuff. Yeah, I think with it, one of the things about being on stream and that's great as well, as well is that they don't have to be a certain length. Like they're all over the map. Like some of them are, I think, less than 10 minutes. Some of them are like a lot longer, like 20 yards. Uh, that serves the stories really well. It means you don't have to stretch them out any longer than they need to be. And I mean, this this came out at this, around the same time as uh, the Marvel What If show mm. did. And I'm a much bigger, I like Star Wars, but I'm a bigger Marvel guy than a Star Wars guy. And I thought that show was fine. But the animation was so stiff mm-hmm. because they were so desperate for them to look exactly like the people who this was supposed to be, for you to feel like it's set in the Marvel Universe. And with this, it was coming out around the same time, it was like, do this, you know? Like, if you're going to be exploring the multiverse, make it look interesting. And every one of these episodes looked completely different. And there were some excellent ones. The one with the twins on the Star Destroyer, that was great. Um, that's by one of the best anime studios out there who were called Trigger. And they um, made a film called Promare, which is one of my favorite anime films. This is now just me recommending anime films to Niall and to whoever else. <laughs> so watch watch Promare, which is about sort of like queer sci-fi firemen. Uh, and watch... Sold. Yeah. yeah. And watch... Um, the, 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 my other favorite episode was the sort of Astro Boy-inspired one about the droid who was going to be a Jedi. And that was by a studio called Science Saru, who do some of my favorite movies of all time. And Night is Short, Walk on Girl, which is about a drunk night in Kyoto with a couple of students. That's a great movie as well. You like those? If you like that show, check those movies out. Those are my recommendations. I hope they will change your mind about anime because I know it's not for everybody, but also there's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't fit the mold of what people think anime is. Well, well, hands up, hands up for me first, because I should. I always should preface. I'm not a big anime guy, but I do love Studio Ghibli. Yeah, so of course, I've got yeah. that entry level. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very. I'm not uh, yeah. a monster. I love Totoro. <laughs> yeah, no, fair. Everyone loves Totoro. Definitely. Well, this all links quite well into our question of the week, uh, which we'll go to now, uh, which all ties into animation, especially because we are talking about an animated film uh, today. Uh, So this is our chance to dive into some of our thoughts on the world of movies as a whole and uh, find out a bit more about our guests. So today's question is, what makes animation such a great medium for storytelling and is it taken seriously enough? Sam, probably a a big question for a lecturer in animation buff like yourself. And I know with A Town Called Panic, I kind of said we were testing your DVD shelf with uh, with such a niche or choice. But it's there. It's it's here. It's right here. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, what what are your kind of thoughts on? You know, we talked there about the Oscars, and you said about like you know it's the film that uh, the grandchildren are watching, etc. There's that aspect of it, but then there's also like you said, there's a lot of creative films like you get like Mitchell's and the Machines. And as you were mentioning, Wolf Walkers, et cetera, you know, why, why do you think animation works so well in, in that sense? I mean, at, at its best, the reason why animation works really well to tell certain kinds of stories is that it's not confined to what we see in the real world. It's very, very capable of 
expressing emotions in ways that go beyond performance or that go beyond the performance of actors, for example. So, um, well, actually, a great example is is the movie Flea, which um, so it's a documentary about. I'm, I'm bringing this up because it was in my lecture today, actually. So I'm <laughs> just recycling material here. But um, the movie Flea is a documentary about a migrant um, trying to get from Af- who over, over the course of several years goes from uh, Afghanistan to Russia to Denmark. And because, um, well, for, for various reasons, that person who is being interviewed, because it's, it's a real person being interviewed, it is a documentary, um, they didn't want to be filmed for this. So animation is used to substitute for real life footage. Um, and, and for the most part, that animation is not too dissimilar actually to what you see in what if it's fairly like realistic, trying to make you feel like you're in the room with them, which is fine. But then where it really shines and where I think it ties into the question that you've asked is when it reaches points of heightened emotion. So for example, when he is being trafficked at one point when he's being like crammed into this ship and then um i think they get caught and like the the police boards and um they get packed off into a truck and sent off and this is when he's a child during these moments of heightened emotion the animation style shifts and it becomes a lot more expressionistic it becomes this like black and white charcoal style where everything looks a lot scarier and also a lot a lot less defined and that puts you in the mind of this character who's feeling um frightened who doesn't understand really what's happening to him and who's reliving this traumatic memory in these interviews and it's like that's what animation is that's animation's advantage as a storytelling medium not necessarily in terms of narrative in terms of getting the events of a story across but in terms of expressing emotions that you wouldn't be able to express in the same way in live action film it's also a way i guess of when you think of like memories and stuff like that sometimes you might solve like kind of think of them like almost dreamlike in a way it's it's almost as if like animation can kind of because so much of film is kind of like metaphors a visual representation of certain emotions and feelings and when you think back of like memories and stuff you might not be thinking like you can remember it exactly so when you do get more serious animation or adult animation um, when I think of something like Animalisa it's something that's kind of like add into the story with its you know visual elements it's kind of using its style to kind of comment on the themes and simplicity that it's going for in its storytelling that like when he's at the hotel and everything like that and everything just kind of looks so miniature and and perfect and it it kind of then makes you think like yeah I can imagine that feeling you know I've been to those locations or I've you know been on a plane and everything like that and there is something kind of like almost miniature and everything is visually aesthetic isn't it whereas when you just see something in live action it's just kind of like oh yeah that's just what it is but it's animation could kind of give you what it feels like in a way or what it kind of like seems like in your in your mind (laughs) yeah and i mean there's ways of doing that in live action like for example the german expressionist films like the cabinet of dr caligari that's all about crafting these really intricate overtly manufactured sets in order to get across um the emotional complexity of that story visually but i mean these days I mean, so you, you can still do that with sets these days in a, in a live action movie if you're going to try and do that you'd probably be using some kind of animated effect anywhere right you'd probably be creating things with computers and, and adding you know filters on and stuff like that like animation still plays a part in the way that those kinds of things are sometimes done 
in live in quote unquote live action movies because obviously there's so much crossover um, between animation and live action today. Um, yeah, but I mean, you can look at any movie. You can look at well, apart from maybe Town Called Panic, but you can definitely look at um, you know most animated movies. I think Anomalisa is another great example, and think well. How is animation being used to tell the story in a way that you couldn't in live action? In, in Anomalisa, um, you've got, for example, the characters are stop-motion puppets and the main character over the course of the film slowly starts to realise that he is a stop-motion puppet and his, his body starts to like fall apart sometimes and he like pulls off the face part of the puppet at one point. Um, and another fascinating aspect of that film is that every character apart from the main character has the same voice, which is again trying to highlight his alienation and the fact that he sees himself as different uh, and more special and more interesting to everybody around him. And then when he meets somebody with a different voice, the woman, Lisa, of the title, that is shocking to both him and the audience because you've been immersed in this world where everyone is the same and they have the same face. And again, it would be achievable in live action, just having one actor kind of green screened in playing every character. It wouldn't be as effective. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like with like something like The Father, isn't it? That they're able to play with sets and stuff like that. They can kind of like use the visual yeah. trickery in that way. With, but with animation, it's kind of just easier to do with that. It's very much like, oh, he's got dementia and Alzheimer's. That's why this is happening. Whereas if with animation, you can still use that when it's even just a normal circumstance. I know Craig definitely would sort of agree with the Animalisa stuff, you know, from when even as soon as that film, we saw that film, it was one that, you know was highly rated by by yourself craig yeah i mean it was also just sort of a film that broke me um especially for the element that sam talked about with regards to um all of the characters and the voice and just the way in which the moment he tries to critically sort of address uh lisa and then the sort of overlap of the voice actually starts to occur so as if he was basically the one unique thing that he he believed he found in his life, he basically tries to crush down until it's just like everything else. And that sort of realization is sort of devastating. But I was also just going to say that I think in terms of animation, what I really appreciate is that I think from a sort of character acting point of view, I think uh, animation is incredibly useful in many situations. Cause I just think that there are ways in which you can make, I'm trying to figure the right way of saying this, but there are ways in which you want the, the body of your characters and necessarily look at times that in live action would just come off as weird, but in animation, because there's a degree of flexibility to it, you can make everything sort of look natural. I think granted, I think a lot of this is on a sort of superficial level in terms of when we're talking about stories, which aren't human, for example, I think there are ways in which you can sort of convey that a lot better than just say pick example of live action and animal movie where it's just people dubbing the animals and just watching the animals sort of run around. I will pick good examples like Homeward Bound or mm. Babe, and I'll pick bad examples like, say it with me, David, <laughs> Pudsy, Pudsy the, the dog, dog, the movie. <laughs> yeah, where basically you just don't get the same sort of connect, uh, the same sort of connection because you're expecting people to give up a sort of sense of belief in order to buy into the story in ways and animation that you can just naturally sell it as the way that this individual world just sort of works. And I think that's sort of I think that's sort of quite useful. That's why uh, I think to sort of link this to Nile a little bit and sort of uh, some of the things I find interesting about live action Star Wars at the moment. Some of the weird backlash we're getting about character designs who were originally established in 
uh, like the animated universe is now coming into play and just getting absolutely roasted. So like Cad Bane, Grand, uh, Grand Inquisitor characters, uh, characters like that, because they were willing to sort of give up that element of realism for the animated, but because it didn't translate well over to live action, it just becomes jarring for people. And even though it didn't happen to the same extent, even with Ahsoka, I think some people were a little bit anxious, but then Rosario Dawson sort of proved them wrong. I think it's just the I think it's just why I think animation can be quite useful in that regard. But I also don't think that people see it as the same regard, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I guess sky's the limit with animation in some ways, isn't it? Um, yeah, now, what, what do you think of uh, this question? No, it's it's a really interesting one. And I've been thinking about it a lot recently because it's been kind of... It's funny why you say that, like people are worried about characters from animation going to live action. And then you have a character as famous in live action as Luke Skywalker and they kind of make him a cartoon in live action. So what, what's the distinction anymore? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think it does show and I find this really uh, appealing in a way is because when that Clone Wars show started all those years ago, it was like very disliked initially in that knee-jerk way most Star Wars things are. And then like over a decade later, it's so beloved that when they try to use these characters in live action, they're under so much scrutiny. And it could be the thing, it's just like a very loud minority online. But I think in this case, at least it's it's people who care so much about these characters' designs, they feel almost protective over them. And I know some like recasting worries them as well when they do that. But uh, in animation, there's just so many of those ideas, especially in like a sci-fi setting, they can throw out there that can really like, I think uh, that's what I love about animation. I think it democratizes creativity in so many ways. I was thinking while you were talking earlier, Dave, about the possibilities of the medium is if you sat someone down who'd seen neither film and just told them to watch, like, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and ask them to, like, compare and contrast the superhero multiverse story. Like, I'd be I'd be pretty shocked if they found a live-action version more entertaining. Because when we see clips, clips of Spider-Verse and GIFs, you know, it's, mm. oh my god, there's so much going on, but it's so clear and beautiful. And then No Way Home, it's like, just people... Oh, we've, everyone's been joking about it on Twitter recently. It's just people against green screens just kind of lit blandly and it's fine you know i don't hate those films i'm not trying to diss them but i think it's it's telling that you know i'm i'm all i'm close to 30 years old and my favorite spider-man and batman films are both animated and i've done so many live action ones in my lifetime are you are you a mask of the phantasm guy or a lego batman guy (laughs) i'm a phantasm guy phantasm for me yeah i think yes spider-verse i mean like I mean, on one hand, don't get me started on Spider-Man No Way Home because I've got a lot of, uh, I think, issues with that movie. I don't know. I, I think I might have... I oh, like Dave's that movie. here. It's a powder keg. I liked that movie, but I'm not sure. I think I like it less than anyone I've ever spoken to about it on the other. Don't don't speak to David. <laughs> does David love it or does David No, no, it? no. Like, I'm, I was like one which when it came out, I was like, I think this is going to age badly and I have a lot of issues with this. So now this is starting to happen. I'm like, they're like, yep, yeah, yeah, I said this. It happened like in a month. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a different podcast, but it's like, I don't think it will hold up because it doesn't work as a movie in its own right. Because you watch the Spider-Man swinging, and it's like, oh, it's three, it's three Spider-Man. If you don't already have pre-existing relationships with those characters, then what's going on here? Whereas if you watch Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, they make 
all of those Spider-Men, none of whom we've ever met before, completely visually distinct. Yeah. So you know what they're all about. You know, you understand how and why they're different from one another. You, you gravitate towards certain ones. Like the, the anime Spider-Girl, the Spider-Ham, the yeah. noir Spider-Man, they all look and move completely differently. They look like they've come from different universes. It works inherently because of the animation, not just by appealing to these other movies that they assume that we've seen. But it was a good movie, and I had a good time watching it, but I oh, I have my issues with it. I'm shaking my finger wildly for the <laughs> listeners what's happening there. David, I, don't respond. Uh, no, it's... it's just walk it, away. It, but it just goes to show, like, I, I agree with the, the power of animation is what I was thinking the same thing as Sam, is that you can show those different multiverses through the animation. Same with Star Wars, as we've mentioned before, is that you can kind of show like different genres and different like with we were talking about Cad Bane you know he's like this kind of like western style character and it's like how how can you translate that into live action as well whereas in animation there's just something about it which is a bit more easier to kind of do and to sort of digest in that way and it's almost I kind of guess what what you guys mentioned on Disney University Sam is that with Disney it's the kind of storybook element is they you kind of with animation so opened up into that immediately people are like they know what they're getting themselves into if it's Spider-Verse you're like oh this is within a comic book if it's like a stop motion it's like oh this is kind of like some sort of like miniature world that I'm inside so I think that there's kind of whether it's adult sort of stories or whether it's children's stories it takes you back to a simpler time I think in some ways as well there's this kind of comfort with animation so we've talked very much about like serious kind of stuff there but i think obviously the film we're talking about today is very fun but you know i think of things then as well like you know laker and ardman and stuff like that in which they're just fun and silly and there's nothing wrong with that i think that there's also this idea that people are just like oh well that's for kids and it's like why why does that have to be for kids why can adults not just like want to have some you know a more chilled out time as we mentioned we're talking about on the episode with italian job craig you know it was uh, our guest Luke was saying that they were watching this really depressing film about like assassination and terrorism and everything like that. And it's like sometimes you just need to, you know, have something which is a bit more positive. You know, we've said about DreamWorks. I remember the other day I was kind of uh, on a work trip and I was like, oh, I just need something that's just kind of like really put in the background. Just I don't need to pay much attention, but it's still kind of fun. And for some reason, The Road to El Dorado is always a film I put on for that because it's just there on Netflix. And I'm like, this is a fun film. This is, you know, kind of jolly nice visuals and all that kind of stuff i don't need to pay attention to what's going on so there's kind of that that comfort there i think with animation and it's similar with stop motion and and your kind of fun stories yeah i completely agree i mean the amount of people i argue with about if i happen to be ragging on a on a, a bad animated film that i've seen the, the the i always get this response and i'm pretty sure we've also had episodes of this of this podcast where people have tried to use this response of it's just meant for kids. What does it matter if it, if it's good or not? I'm just like, no, no, no. You can have genuinely good things aimed for kids, right? Stop trying to use this excuse of just, oh, kids will just watch any old shit. Like, I don't like that. I don't think that's, I don't think it's respectful to kids. And just, I have the right to basically watch something and want to get something out of it. Like, just come on, just be... Just do good things that can be entertaining. Hence, what we'll soon be discussing. So we'll now go on to today's film, which is A Town Called Panic, uh, also known in French as Panique au Village. Uh, It was from 2009. 
And uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, his basic summary is uh, cowboy and Indians uh, only wish was to come up with a brilliant idea for Mr. Horse's birthday. But when their plan ends up in utter disaster, they'll need to travel the world and back to make things right again. And uh, this is based off like a television show. Some people might know the visuals in the UK from like the Cravendale adverts and stuff. It's kind of like seeped into a lot of different parts of media. There's actually a few specials, I think, that they also did um, for this specific film, which kind of spawned from the series, you know, and as evident in the the alternate name this you know stems from france uh you got directors uh stefan aubier and vincent patar uh they also worked uh on the script as well with uh guillem malandrin and uh then in terms of your cast uh, again hopefully i'm not butchering any names here uh you got stefan aubier in a voice role as well you got gian balibar uh nicholas bicey francis de Goad, uh, Veronica Dumont, uh, Bruce Ellison. So yeah, very much. This is from France, French speaking. You can get it like subtitled. I think there is American versions or dubs of it. I saw that for some of the specials and it just seemed wrong. I was like watching it like, no, this, this, this shouldn't be a thing. You, you should watch it with the French. And uh, as Craig mentioned at the top, possibly the first foreign film that we've talked about. Uh, and yeah, from 2009, and yeah, it's a kind of claymation stop motion, which uses the kind of like cowboy Indian farmyards or toys that you would sort of see uh, as a kid. So Sam, when I mentioned this one to you, you said, as as we mentioned earlier, this was on the shelf. This was a DVD. It's in your sort of French section, I believe, which you which you have. Um, so <laughs> interesting yeah. how many other parts of the world are on that on that shelf. But um, that's a hell of a question. Yeah. That, that's a hell of a question. Yeah. What What are your sort of main thoughts on this? Did you see it when it originally came out? Is this something that you've always kind of like gone back back to? Or? I have only watched it once before. Um, I didn't see it when it initially came out in 2009, but probably not long afterwards during um <laughs> uh, just to, you can really uh chart my life in terms of DVD buying binges and around that time around kind of 2010 11 which is also about when I went away to university and gained control of my own finances fully <laughs> for the first time I um I, I think what I did was I went on the Rotten Tomatoes list what was then the Rotten Tomatoes list of 100 best animated features and just over the course of a few months uh, bought all of the ones that I hadn't seen and one of those was A Town Called Panic um, and yeah so I remember watching that in my first student house for the first time and um, yeah it's good fun isn't it I was going to say because it doesn't do any of the things that we were saying animation does really well because it doesn't really tell a story and it doesn't really I mean, it has characters, some of whom are very likable, but it's not really a movie about character. It's not about character development. It's just a series of random comedic events at its core, but that's something that animation also does really well and has done since the days of the Looney Tunes, etc. Bugs Bunny didn't need a plot or character development. He just caused chaos. And that is, as was said, right up top, I think, that is what this movie is about. But it does, it's... An, I mean, all animated movies are interesting for analysis to me, but it is very interesting in terms of the way that it uses stop motion and the kinds of techniques that it's employing, I think. And also interesting to think of it in 
as an entry within the long history of the stop motion film. Yeah, and it's it's interesting in terms of again of like most famous animated films, weird like animated films. Niall, I know when I mentioned this film to you, as we've sort of alluded to in your intro and the previous episodes, you know, sometimes you you like your kind of weird stuff. You don't like things to be too mainstream. And even when I was like, oh, it's a weird French animation, you were like, oh, Fantastic Planet. I was like, we're not going that weird. We're not going that deep. Uh, but yeah, had you ever had the experience of this? What what was your sort of initial reactions? Well, let me tell you what, Dave, this was the this was the strangest episode of BoJack Horseman they've ever made. <laughs> How does this fit in a series? <laughs> no, um, this is weird because I think I had like a weird flashback when you said the name of this. And I realized I think I had seen like some of this when it was like a TV show. I think mm. this played like once when I grew up in Ireland. And I was always like, what was that? That was really funny. And yeah, no, this is just a good like... What's it like 75 minutes of just sheer manic childlike energy, which is pretty excellent. I won't lie. Today I got home after work. It'd been a really hot day. I definitely wasn't in the the headspace for this. This was just so much to take in, but uh, just so creative. And I like the fact it doesn't get bogged down too much with story or like greatly emotional details, you know? Because I think that would be counterintuitive to the energy it's putting out there. Because this feels like what a, a kid, the story a child would tell with these toys. You know, I think on the DVD box you had Sam, it even said a reviewer described it as Toy Story and Absinthe, which is pretty true, you know. And that's what I love about it. Uh, even though it's so simple, it still throws in that thing like this is just a tiny love story, like the slightest thin slice. Because a child would think like, oh yeah, um, then he's going to kiss the lady horse. Not the end. Yeah, no, I, I had a very good time with this. Just very good natured. I will say there's something about dance, the horses dancing together and the way they were interlocked, which looked, I, I think, probably more intimate than they imagined it would. But <laughs> and when you said at the start, I think I've fallen in love. I was thinking with, with the lady horse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Or, or very, very charming character. I, okay, both emotionally and literally, I'm not going to go that deep. Um, <laughs> um. <laughs> what I love about the horse thing, though, is the fact that it's like Madame Longrier and all this, and then just horse. Like she gets a name, but horse doesn't get a name. <laughs> yeah, but if you only say the 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 French pronunciation, it actually sounds like a cool name. I actually might name my child Cheval. <laughs> Very true. Ah, mes amis, cheval! <laughs> it's so annoying because all the characters speak French, like even with the silliest voice in it. It's like they still they still sound so beautiful. This doesn't... Also, am I wrong? Or is this a Belgian film? Yeah, it's Bel- Belgian-French co-production. I think the directors are Belgian. So it is, is, it is slightly out of place on my French shelf and I have considered today possibly starting up a belgian shelf but it's, it's there's, a, there's a lot of crossover between those two countries I, yeah i just want to give belgium credit because i'm actually like i'm struggling to think have i ever seen a belgian film before and i love world cinema I was like have i ever have i ever seen a film set in belgium even tintin's not belgian movie i'm gonna find out i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna Go on Letterboxd. What's the top? Uh, see, if you, you go on Letterboxd and you look at the top Belgian movies, it's all like, again, like co-productions that you might not necessarily think of mm. as Belgian, like Titan, which um, I would think of as, as French. 
yeah, it, it's just something that's so like light and fun. And as you guys mentioned, something that seems like would be a story that would be invented by children. But I kind of saw it very much like in a kind of robot chicken way as well as, as this kind of like, it was almost for adults at the same time, not so much again, like kids playing with toys, but kind of like adults going like, what if this goofy thing happens? What if this silly thing happens just because, um, because we're playing with toys and we're doing what we want with, with toys and kind of using that as a way to make things funnier, like the, the silly expressions and the crazy people like falling out of places and and like when they're in the volcano and they're like is cowboy dead and like for a moment i was like is he dead like i don't know this film is so crazy for a moment i thought that he could have just genuinely died and they were just quite like blase about it me off guard and had me genuinely crying for a little bit because i thought this is a beautifully set up joke i appreciate it so much it's when the bricks all start arriving at the house and they're all panicking and they get a phone call from hall saying yeah i'm gonna be a bit late there seems to be lots of traffic and it's just all the brick truck just driving past i was just like oh my god that's the same one that got me i howled at that when that when that, it sounds it sounds so like simplistic but as soon as that happened i was like <laughs> rubs hands together settling in for a treat yeah. The only thing that annoyed me about that segment is that the number on the invoice is clearly not 50 million bricks. But it's, even it's then... Many more bricks, yes. Yeah. It's like... Arguably, it's 50 million more than 50 million based on the amount of zeros on that everlasting document. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of insanely clever... Even though it's just absolutely insane, it's weirdly well thought out and well paced i also remember laughing at like a variety of jokes such as uh towards the end when the, the sort of tidal wave is heading towards the school just seeing simon go to the window and just go oh horse is here it's just like what my biggest laugh if we just listen biggest laughs was when the very very angry farmer absolutely demolished a gigantic slice of toast with nutella on it i love that farmer just how angry he always was and he's like, the best character and right? when he's they're furious. doing like surgery on the tractor that's the bit that got me when it's like it's all in pieces and they're like dude you know with all the like pigs and sheep and stuff like that it's just it's crazy how how angry that guy gets and again i think that's why i said earlier that like the voice cast then i think really do bring it to life and i think there's something that you lose when you have like the american aspect of it whether that's just because i don't understand french so there's kind of like a you know, charm to it in the sense of like, oh, it's like gobbledygook, which somebody could take offense at kind of thing. But I think even if you do, it's the same, I suppose, with British cinema or, you know, if, if there's like an accent there, then, it you know, it can add to the charm um, of something, which I think that, you know, a lot of French media uh, does play up. So I'll tell you what, right off the bat, I was thinking about that because I was watching some episodes of the TV show and they did dub that in English. I don't think they ever dubbed the movie, but the TV show they dubbed for British TV with um, with English actors, one of whom was Alexander Armstrong, uh, Pointless as Own, plays the, the horse. And he did. I thought it would have been very funny if he did it in his own posh voice, but he does it in a sort of, uh, like a very kind of Northern, I don't know, indistinct Northern uh, working class accent. It was kind of funny. Um, the Cowboy Scouts though, which I thought was hilarious. But uh, the... Um, the Indian has this very 
high-pitched shrill like american accent and and now I, I was watching something oh, i don't i don't think i like this very much even though he's got a high-pitched shrill voice as the most of the characters in the french version so i don't know i don't think i like this in english i prefer when it just sounds like gibberish because i don't understand french very well yeah exactly and i think that again even though i had subtitles and i think when paul talked about it in the last episode he was like oh you know it is subtitled but it's it's such a loose story you don't even really need to sort of read them in a way and i was kind of like throughout the film i was like well no there is a lot more dialogue here than you would get maybe in certain other animated films um like wally or something like that in which again there's not a reliance on dialogue for a lot of that film but I was kind of like, you would miss an aspect of this with the names and everything like that if you weren't paying attention to it. But I think it still does work in the sense of like story-wise, you could still understand what was going on if you if you weren't reading or, li- or listening to what was happening. Just, I'm just going to say this out right now. Anyone who opts to watch that film in anything but French, uh, you need to go. Um, I just think that the speed is something that can only be maintained in French. I think there's something that... I think every different language has some element of comic timing that they can that they do really well, and I think for the uh, I think for French it's just fr- I, I think it's just sort of like the free flowing because like there's not very many harsh consonants so yeah lots of words ending in vowels that just yeah flow ending right with vowels and just keep and they just keep going so you basically get a really nice sort of sounding of uh, sounding effect. And I, I think that's why they're able to get like such quick pacing. And that's why then they translate that into a lot of... That's why I described it as slapstick, right? Because you have all of that dialogue sort of flying around. And then the way they have the figures obviously just sort of up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then just the the fact that they often have to use a lot of flash stars and just characters slamming into walls. Like the amount... Like when we get to the scientists and what the scientists are able to do, they're just, they're just hulking like horse around at one point and i was like how that that's why i love when you look at the story is that you look at it like oh yeah it's horse's birthday and it's all this kind of simple stuff and and you as you guys were saying it gets a bit more mad when you get the delivery vans and i was kind of loving that stuff but i was there at one point like how long are we going to spend in the town or like at the house how long are we going to be there with this scattered bricks everywhere and how many times we're going to see them try to construct it but then when they go on this adventure you know you just read it and it's just like uh you know they find themselves in the middle of a tundra while wandering throughout they are sucked into a giant penguin robot that has been used by incomprehensible super strong scientists to make and throw giant snowballs they catch up with jared but they are subsequently captured and put to work by the scientists and then it's like after that it's like oh they find themselves underwater and then they're in in like a shopping center underwater it's like it's so ludicrous and so crazy the places they go to this shows the inventiveness of the animation i suppose with the delivery trucks the fact that they were like you know heightening themselves to like put all the bricks on top of each other and you get that later on when it's like the penguin just the way that it kind of like bends slightly with the fin and in that like little shopping center thing it's just the little like details you get with with the animation i love the fact as well it's like especially i think it's like the wife of the farmer it's kind of when you are a kid you know you can't move toys certain ones so if their like arm is on their shoulder that's just how they are the entire time that they're just waddling around like that that's what i love about something like this is that they're kind of it's improved by their what they're restrained by yeah they are kind of gesturing to the limitations of actually playing with those toys it's you know you were mentioning the lego movie earlier in the island it is very similar to that um and 
that also has the energy of like, this is just the story. Well, literally in that movie, it's this is the story that a child is telling, playing with his Legos. And the Lego movie has a low frame rate. And that's a deliberate decision to evoke stop motion Lego films. A lot of people probably think the Lego movie is stop motion if they just saw little bits of it. But obviously stop motion Lego films made by fans or even by kids have been a big thing for a long time. And they were very deliberately trying to tap into that. Um, Stop motion as a medium of animation has a lower bar for entry than anything else. It might be difficult to make great stop motion, but anyone can make some stop motion. All you need is a camera and some objects. The you know you don't need to be an amazing artist like you would be for hand drawn animation or to have high tech equipment that you would need for or software that you would need for computer animation. You just need a camera and some toys. Kids can do it. So I think. It, that makes it very easy for movies like this to tap into that childlike sense of play of anything can happen with these figures and to lean into limitations of that. Again, like they do in the Lego movie, they only move their arms in ways that a Lego figure could. Um, that's an important part of maintaining that aesthetic. Um, because these figures, I was trying to figure out how, how they made this. And I said I couldn't find any footage of them making it, but it seems to be what you call replacement animation, which is when rather than moving the figures, they have a hundred figures that are only, well, thousands of figures realistically in different poses and they just swap them in. And usually uh, on a bigger budget film, something like like uh, Coraline on Nightmare Before Christmas even, they use replacement animation in tandem with posable figures, usually for the faces. So the bodies can move, like Chicken Run's a famous example. The bodies are made from clear, the heads are not, and they have to be attached to the bodies and that's why they all wear scarves or something around their neck to cover up the seams and that's because with replacement animation you can get a lot more detail in terms of expression um in a way that you couldn't just by moving like wallace's face around you can have characters like Coraline or like jack skellington who are really really expressive because you don't need to move the faces you swap the heads in that's not what they're doing in town called panic <laughs> these characters aren't very expressive you can barely see their faces um they don't even really need to have faces for this story to work they're just doing it to maintain this sense that it's a child playing with these little toys and again i think you know going back to the you know i joked about like horse with the name and stuff like that and it's it's the details that they put into the comedy there as well like when they're in the volcano i love that like he goes on the phone and it, it kind of goes back to like similar stories as well of when it's like something chaotic but there's something simple at his core so just the fact that he wants to get back to this music lesson she's like oh are, are you coming and he's literally there like hanging off a volcano and he's like oh, yes i will be there soon i've just got a bit held up and you're like you've got held up by being in a volcano <laughs> trying to like chase some like sea creatures it's just yeah oh, oh, like they're in the house of the mer people which is also their house that the mer people have stolen um and then yeah. the, the 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 phone rings and they pick it up and it's like hello oh it's for horse yeah. is, is horse here it's like <laughs> obviously yes he's the one that's a horse um <laughs> I think it's very crucial that, so amongst all this chaos, you've obviously got nods to real life relationships, but I think it's crucial that that's entirely through the horse. Mm. It's not the cowboy and the Indian, the human characters who are having these real life um, relationship adventures, this romantic comedy thing going on. It's the horse. It's the one that's an animal. And that means that that in itself becomes inherently ridiculous. And it's almost a child's idea of what 
like dating is um you just it's just two horses and they dance together and one of them's a music teacher and uh, the other one's always late to his piano lessons i do i do think we'll have to mention as well though indian i'm not a huge fan of that we've said it a number of times it's an it's an what it is is a small toy of a native american chief caricature um the character's name is literally Indian. There's no other way we could refer to it unless we said it like on the on in, in the in the French, which is it's still the same. It's still drawn from the same place. Um, I, I know why they didn't call the character Native American. It doesn't flow off the tongue as well. But um, yeah, it's it, I don't know. Does, does that totally sit right? I guess it's because it's toys. It's this is not representing a real Native American person which is why something like Disney's Peter Pan is so offensive because these people are being presented as Native American people and this is what they look like and this is how they behave. Here, the fact that they're a cowboy and Indian is completely incidental to anything that's going on. It's got nothing to do with anything. Um, the idea is just these are the toys that a child might have. But yeah, it's still the, the, the number of times I'm going to have to say the word Indian over the course of this podcast in that context is it, it doesn't, doesn't sit perfectly well on my tongue. So I thought it was something I would just mention. I mean, for me, it was the sort of, I mean, I did have that sort of concern as well, but at the point where various members of the town basically just have names, which are just like various professions, I think at the point where it's very clear that, yeah, at the point where, uh, cowboy and and i sort of call them indian because obviously we see the name written down because it's in the in the french it's e-n-e so i'm just like i pronounce it like that to sort of get away from that i completely come uh understand where you're coming from i think there's just sort of two things that i would say that that's why i'm able to shrug it off in this context one as you say they don't play up any sort of negative stereotypes i think i think there's a very clear sound that people think of when we think of Na- uh, native americans that had we heard that sound, probably would be like, ooh, yeah, this is going yeah, a bit Yeah, too- different story. Yeah. They don't do any of that. They don't, like, smoke the peace pipe exactly. or, like, scalp anybody no. or anything. It's completely divorced from any stereotypes and any sense of reality. Yeah. It's it's just a, a figure that is playing this role, and that's what it happens yeah, to look Yeah, the like. closest you could get to it being uncomfortable is if you were to imagine it's just these two characters are essentially children, and they're just dressed up in that's about the most uncomfortable but even uh but even then i also just think the second thing is that um it's the sort of thing of i look at it as just product of the time i think at the point where it's just we've learned a lot since then i think so long as we're not current day making things like that the sort of play on that i i can deal with it a lot more it wouldn't get me with it i think it's it's 13 years old which doesn't feel like a very long time but you know the ways in which we have these conversations about race and stereotypes and representation has genuinely changed a lot, yeah. at least in like the mainstream world in in the last 13 years in particular. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a social it, media impact, right? At the point where we've had that rise. In part so- of it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that that was something that was sort of at my, my mind. But um, I think, and it's probably as well, because all the other characters are postmen, policemen. They're not specific, like, actual... The whole village people. Yeah. But and I love the fact that, like, policemen, like, had, like, an entire CCTV setup of, like, the entire world or something like that. He was like, where is horse gone? And he's got all these missing posters and, like, he's got... You can see everything. The police did, yeah, man. You get, so. you get arrested. You go to jail for the suspicion of kidnap. And that prison can be set up anywhere because he just... <laughs> 
He just builds that prison out of nowhere on top of all of the bricks. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And the day they could have lived in that. They didn't need to go through the whole building new house plot. You've got a portable prison. It's not ideal, but it's something for now. I don't know why I'm trying to pick plot holes in this movie. <laughs> I, but... oh, I mean, if we're going to go into plot holes, I mean, <laughs> like this whole the whole plot is about a hole, isn't it? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you guys said earlier though, it was just like, oh, you, you know, there's not too much of a story. That nothing changes by the end. Nobody's going through character progression. I was like, actually, you know, horse couldn't play piano, and by the end, uh, that shot of him like playing the piano in the way with his hooves and like playing it expertly i just yeah, love that uh, i was like wait wait wait, a, wait 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 we've gone on through this film did you not notice that he oh, was clearly playing yeah. along to a recording exactly, yeah when he stopped but i was kind of like there's still some progression here he's still like you know before he was kind of nervous on it he at least looked confident even though he wasn't doing I, it himself. Did, did you skip over the fact he found love yeah yeah <laughs> and his car was fixed i love the fact that horses are driving cars and that's not even like you know questioned at all but Niall, was there any other sort of funny moments or goofy moments that you were just like, what what the hell is this? Well, I think the first thing that made me like severely crack up, and you guys did mention it, is the farmer who's always shouting. Mm. I don't know why, but that taps into something like <laughs> very feral in my mind that I just find absolutely hilarious. And I, I saw the reviews picked him out specifically for his performance. Apparently he's quite a well-known Belgian comedian. Uh, who played him uh, and um also just the whole conceit of the farmer rigging and they live one house over there the only two houses in this town to ask can you pick it's not really a town is it can you pick my animals up from music class and i was like all right i'm on another level i've got to just let this film wash Uh over me oh yeah that stuff really stuck out i think as it went on though it's kind of what i was talking about I started to find the pace of it like just slightly exhausting with where I was. So by the time they're underwater with those people, I was just kind of unfazed. <laughs> yeah. Almost the wackiness, I think it plateaued. So just like, all right. I think that's it. If we are talking about like reviewing this movie, I think that might be my one criticism is that at 75 minutes, I wouldn't say it drag, but like no. the madness does start to, like in the middle ish, somewhere between the penguin and the giant. A slice of Nutella toast. I feel like there's a bit of like, oh, this is about as mad as it gets, and it's like you say, plateaued. And then that kind of happens at the end where we get a Return of the King style, like four different <laughs> epilogues thing going on, which didn't necessarily need. But uh, when it's when it's happening, it's happening. I have a question I wanted to pose to you guys. This is something that I've been wrestling with in my mind, like in my lectures and in my writing for a while, and that I'm trying to figure out. Stop motion and like rural countryside settings. What's that about? What's that connection? Do you think? Can you think of any other? Oh, this has now become a lecture. Can you think of any other stop motion uh, films or shows in this these similar like rural countryside farm settings? Well, Wallace and Gromit is almost like that, definitely. And yeah, yeah. Postman Pat. Yes, Postman yeah. Pat. Uh, Even like Chicken Run is obviously set yeah. on farm. Lake uh, almost does, even though they haven't done like farm, even like where some of their stuff, like Missing Link and Kubo, there's still a kind of like they're in like far villages that have like a little farm or they go somewhere, which is kind of like, yeah, like rural, like forest. Yeah, environments. I know there was a TV show my parents watched growing up that was like stop motion, Trumpton, this thing like that. Yeah, Trumpton, yeah, absolutely. 
yeah naughty and stuff like that there is something kind of like i think postman pat especially like that's there's ones which you hear the songs too and i'm like instantly brought back there's something about postman pack which is like just yeah. like ingrained in my like i'm like as soon as i hear it, i'm like oh my god i think it's because they also had those like little moving cars in shops and stuff i suppose does that come from again this idea of the farm toys like is it because that was such a thing of like having the little play sets of um pigs and cows and that kind of stuff does it stem from there i suppose as an easy prop but also it kind of goes back to the model railway aspect of like little trees and yeah i mean thomas as i would say thomas it's it's that's a live action like model railway is what Mm. that is but um there's elements of stop motion sometimes with the fat controller and stuff like that but uh, it's the same especially to a to a to a child it's the same aesthetic it's a three-dimensional object you know so yeah so that's that's perhaps one explanation david any other any other well, guesses i was as thinking to maybe it predates even like the farmyard playset thing but for like kind of marketing things and i'll say like these things are mostly aimed at children almost exclusively is that you know like the rural countryside is a much more appealing place to show a child than like something set in suburbia or a city of that like especially really young kids they want to see like cute fluffy animals and just like idyllic countryside uh, what would you say like villages yeah that just look L- lovely like Watership you know? down that's you know good example of that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah wonderful and idyllic yeah. i think it's it's worth noting that almost all of these examples have been british mm. uh, and i think in this country and, you know, possibly in other Western European countries like France and Belgium, but definitely in this country, there's a sense of idealism around certain segments of the population with regards to like rural Britain and the countryside. And, um, you know, I think I think that might tie in with this sense of nostalgia that seems to be evoked by these toy like animations. But I always wonder if it's something to do with um, the fact that stop motion seems to be like maybe it's got a reputation as a more organic like a more a more artisanal uh, form of animation that seems to be linked to the simplicity of like country and rural life. There's a McDonald's advert that I show in my classes from a few years ago that you might remember of lots of stop motion, not too dissimilar from Town Called Panic, lots of stop motion um, little figures constructing a Happy Meal, like a giant Happy Meal, and they're in like a farm environment. And the point behind that is, it's because all of our ingredients are organic. Our carrots come from farms. Our beef comes from farms. And I, I, I wonder if that's... so. Well, they, they use they, this for Cravendale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're using stop motion to evoke that sense of like, this is organic, this is real, this is homemade, it's homegrown almost. Um, that's, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm grasping towards this idea. I always think with puppetry, there's a similarity with stop motion as well. There's one, there's the kind of thing of like, people don't like it or don't take it seriously. It's kind of very much a specific art form. Some people might get creeped out by it even. But with like puppetry, there's, if you're not looking at like the Muppet side, but still Jim Henson, there's always kind of like fantasy is a big thing when you look at like, you know, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. And then even when we were kids, there was those weird, I can't remember what they were. There was some sort of like uh, troll kind of things and that was some sort of fantasy world it was on like citv or something like that arthur and, like, and the rotten trolls might have been yeah there was something yeah they were like in medieval someone in the rotten some, trolls yeah yeah like, so. <laughs> am i the only one who's got a relatively cynical answer for why i think the stop motion tends to be countryside 
I'll go on. My cynical answer is because it requires so much attention to detail to get certain things. They want a less crowded environment, so doing cities just seems yeah hustle and bustle. Yeah, in the back, it's all yeah. active things going on in the background as opposed to rural where you can have everything widely spread out apart. That's my cynical answer. Mm. Okay, Sean the Sheep, the TV yep. show, all on a farm. Sean the Sheep, the movie, they go to a city and there's a lot more characters. Roger and the Rotten Trolls, I've Googled it. <laughs> I mean, there's so much about this film that I love. I love how they're able to just, after the house has been destroyed, I love how they're able to just recreate furniture by essentially blowing it up. I love, I just love how distracted uh uh, cowboy in Indiana in terms of just they're constantly wanting to play table tennis and just just times where they're just playing card games constantly I just, I want to know what the scientists are up to like why were they yeah I want to watch more of these things I just want to know more about this world because I find it a really fascinating world I also love sorry the moment where they dress up as Santa when we're talking about yeah it. I love that <laughs> It's like, unfortunately, your presents fell down the hole. Oh, we'll go get it. And they just roll a massive rock on top. And the fact they believe that just Santa is a horse. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I've had a bit of a hard week. And this was 75 minutes of pure joy and happiness that I've been waiting to get. And I, I cannot fault this film. I know, obviously, in terms of whether or not this is like in the, you know, in terms of how we would weigh films and... Uh, like I follow the sort of uh, the sort of uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker philosophy of storytelling, which is that every action should have some necessary consequence of like which which creates a therefore or a but, and this is just and then and then and then. But it's just it's one of the most charming pieces of media I've come across in a long time. There's a lot of there's a lot more heart and soul put into this than a lot of things I could. That I could talk to you. Obviously, we've talked about some great animated films and great uh, general great projects that people have genuinely cared about, but they're not the sort of things that are sort of thrust in my face on a regular basis. I am subjected to a lot, a lot of of crap, frankly, and I'm not going to lie. This podcast is often sub subject to some of that. So I just this film was just pure madness and joy. It's the only time I've watched a film and I'm going, what the hell is going on? But I'm doing it whilst I'm trying to stop laughing. I I cannot say anything bad about this film, even though that I think that there are things to be said about this film. All right, so rewind those tapes and play them again, because we're now in VHS Corner. This week, and I think we've sort of agreed that this film is incredibly niche, so let's see how niche we can get in terms of its facts. So this week, Niall is going to be talking us through some of the facts that he's... I say some of the facts, probably all of the facts he was able to find about this film based on the discussion we were having beforehand. But I'll hand over to Niall now. So what sort of things did you find out about this film that might interest us? These were really hard to find, so I was kind of crapping myself for the last however we've been recording that. Some of you guys might just reveal these things by accident. I don't know how niche they are as facts, but I think I did okay. So uh, my first fact is the town called Panic franchise. It started off as a four-minute short film in 1991 before becoming a TV show. A whopping, like, how long is that? 11 years later in 2002 which lasted one year and then as you said it came over to uh, British shores where it was dubbed by Aardman they put the work into it so there's a cool little stop motion 
connection there. And yeah, of course, and this film then came out in 2009. So there was a lot... (laughs) This thing was a thing for a long time before this movie, which I just think is crazy. Animation takes a long time to make all those toys. And these, the two creators of it, they must just love this world so much that they like love dipping back into it so often. And so yeah, uh, some like filmmaking facts. So the film took 260 days to make, which again, you know, animation takes time. And I think you were uh, wondering earlier, Sam, about how many figures they went through. So the film went through 1,500 plastic figures overall. Which I guess you were guessing like a thousands for maybe one character, but but I <laughs> yeah. I think for maybe like they purposely use like silly poses that don't quite make sense for their animation style. Yeah, so that's true. They probably reuse a lot of them. If you went through it, you'd be able to probably count each individual. If you could be bothered, you could go through it and count each in each individual one. There's some very distinct ones, like when um. There's a bit where the horse is inhaling to do a big blow and his stomach inflates. I'm like, oh, that's a that's a very bespoke figure they've made for that moment. But um, yeah, most of them are just kind of generic, like pointing and screaming and poses like and that. Some, some characters very clearly have a lot less poses than others. It's quite funny. I think especially the farmer's wife is very rigid, as Dave said. Yeah, and my final fact, and this one I really like, uh, it was the first stop motion feature film to be screened at the Cannes Film Festival. Wow. Yeah. Oh, God. Pull your finger out, Cannes. That's terrible. Amazing stop motion films came up before 2009. Come on, man. That is crazy. And the Cannes Film Festival, of course, where Shrek and Shrek 2 competed for the Palme d'Or for <laughs> the years they came out. Which is <laughs> exactly, yeah. A deranged I think Shock premiered at Cannes oh, as well. It? I don't know if it competed, but I'm pretty sure it premiered there. I think even possibly the B-movie might have. I've got visions of... Uh, Jerry Seinfeld in a giant bee costume flying into Cannes, although that might have been somewhere else. So yeah, those are those are my facts. I love the fact that this is essentially 30 years old, because Craig has talked how much he loves this film, but he recently, happy birthday Craig, has celebrated his 30th birthday, and uh, Paul rightfully and uh, fittingly put a picture from A Town Called Panic with Horse's birthday cake when he put his uh, Facebook uh uh, happy birthday post on, on yeah, Facebook. So. That that has become less appealing at the point where I learn in the film that's not a cake, that's chocolate covered hay. Oh right. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a bundle of hay that they put chocolate and candles on. So I also thought it was a cake and I was like, oh that's quite fun and I'm like, oh well, well the sad thing is when I learned it was hay, I was still like, yeah, but it still looks kind of tasty. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably give it a go. Another part of animation again, isn't it? Like when things look really tasty in, in animation. Yeah. But, I was going to um, say, it, they had a barbecue. I don't know what they ate. I really want to know what they actually cooked. That leads us then to our final point, which uh, we're talking about the legacy of this movie and, uh, you know, what we thought of it. So does A Town Called Panic deserve to be remembered for all time and gain the honour of a place in our movie vault? Sam, I'll go to you first as a animation guru. What what do you think? Like I said, you you saw this on a on an IMDb list. I've seen it definitely on a few like animation must watch lists and even like weird animation lists as well. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a unique 
movie and for that reason alone it should be in there let alone the fact that it is very entertaining and i mean so there's no no french films no foreign language films in the vault i think it's got to go in on that there is one foreign language film in in the vault but it it was never officially discussed fully on the show oh what would that parasite is in the film oh fair enough okay parasite in town called panic that's all you wait wait a second is is gamira oh yeah not in the vault did that get retconned I thought. Oh yeah, that's true. Together. Okay, we okay, have discussed Jap- a series of Japanese films. <laughs> okay, well, still, Town Called Panic is it the first stop motion film in the vault. Uh, Niall, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking really hard about this before because I I do really enjoyed this film, but I fell into that trap of, oh, but is it like the best stop motion film that could go in, or all these weird questions, and then I realized like thinking that deeply is not in the spirit of the film. So if I see the movie vault as this giant hole in the ground, this movie would just jump in it, guns blazing. And I think that's the way, you know, we should get it in there. I think it is safe to say we will never get another film like this as long as we live. And I think on that basis, it's got to go in because I think it's going to be a one of a kind film. And Toy Story's in there, and if you want to see Toy Story in absinthe, then you could, you know, like put a bottle of absinthe next to it. But also, <laughs> I like the idea of again how we came to this film is just have the Dark Knight in there, and then next to it is a town called Panic. Maybe that's how you can come around your Belgian French thing, Sam. You can just put it next to the Dark Knight on a separate shelf. <laughs> Films about chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, it's not. You say it's not the best stop motion film that could be in there. I'm looking at. Um, one of my many letterbox lists, which is every stop motion movie I've ever seen ranked. And Town Called Panic is 20th. And I like mm. this movie. There's 19 better stop motion films, in my opinion. So I think you should watch each of those in succession. And that should be what this podcast is now. Are you basically trying to turn this podcast into like a different offshoot of the format of Disneyversity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. It definitely is uh, kind of indicative of like animation in some ways or forms. And it definitely deserves its place in different lists for like how you can show how animation can work in different mediums. But also, I suppose, like a, a good example of an adaptation as well if it's coming from television of you know people come into it through the film so yeah into the movie vault goes um a town called panic another fun and a crazy film uh, from 2009 uh which now leads us to our final part of the show which is our end game so over to craig we're in the end game now oh, it's so annoying. end game time before I tell you what this game is going to be, uh, I would just like to uh, introduce a returning guest. Uh, there's somebody very close to the podcast, but they've not been around for a while. Uh, I think the circumstances, you know, going on in the world sort of explain. Uh, but I would very much like to reintroduce uh, to Welcome Movies our mascot, Swiss Lodge. Way he's <laughs> back. And ironically, Sam mentioned the Playmobil movie earlier, and he has links to the Playmobil movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because of a convoluted uh, detail that we discovered because of the Playmobil movie, it turns out that this dinosaur was once me. Anyway, enough of uh, enough about uh, Swiss Lodge, or really, because this game is actually called Journey to Swiss Lodge. What we thought we would do is because we've just had an incredibly chaotic animated film, and we have two people here who in different ways uh, have had a variety of experience with animated films, we want to see what kind of madness you can come up with if you were given the script for an animated movie. And Sam, this is a bad time for you to have said earlier, I'm not a good writer. (laughs) 
<laughs> basically, what we're going to do is this. I've dis- uh, I've devised a couple of little details. These aren't anything concrete. Uh, these are details that I'm going to give you, and I want you to give me a premise for an animated film. The film is called Journey to Swiss Lodge. The main character is our mascot, the dinosaur Swiss Lodge. So basically, we'll give you 90 seconds to come up with the pitch. Um, and the basis of it is going to be as follows. David and I will listen to the pitches and whichever one that we generally think is the more entertaining premise, the one that we think has a deeper uh, a deeper story potentially, or the film that we think, for whatever reason you tell us we should, uh, to value more is the one that will win. However, I'm going to f- slip in a few caveats that I'm not going to tell you, so I need you to sort of think about my l- mindset of if you do certain things a certain way, we might deduct metaphorical points off of you. So, for example, I'll give you I'll give you the characters we would like you to include in the list to begin with. So, so Swiss Lodge should have a best friend who is a raccoon, and you get to name the raccoon. They should have a love interest who you can decide who they should be, name, species, and all. And a rival called Trenton. Again, you can decide how this should play into it. And then, I'll write all of these uh, details down so they'll be in the chat for you. Throughout this journey to Swiss Lodge, they should go through at least three settings. Those settings are a city, a volcanic area, and a medieval town. And you can decide whatever order they encounter, and then the ending could be wherever you want it to be. It could be in one of those places, it could be somewhere else, it's completely up to you. And finally... The villain should be named after somebody in this call and their plot should be called The Zoom. Whatever you think their plot will be, again, is up to you. Okay, uh, do you need me to repeat any of these details or I can just put them... I'm good. I've made notes. Can I just get one detail because I'm, I'm a bit behind the podcast yeah. lore. Is this starring the character Swiss yeah, Lodge? Yeah, so the main character is Swiss Lodge, this dinosaur. <laughs> okay. Yeah, behind the the podcast law, which like this ha- the law behind this character probably hasn't existed since like early early days. It's very yeah. much a re- you know the return, the return. <laughs> yeah. So while they start to think, David, as usual, and by that I mean as per the last couple of episodes, they'll be playing for the opportunity to choose which film will be discussed in next week's episode. So it will either be my choice, your choice, or a choice of their own. So just to give them an idea to see whether they want to choose one of our choices, tell us a little bit about your film without revealing what the film is. Yeah, it's uh, this is definitely one that we've you know we've been talking about animation and we're talking about like toys and everything like that. So this is one that's definitely be brought up. Um, it's very much one that is you know close to my heart for sort of growing up with this kind of media and uh, toys. And it's just so much fun, so much zaniness. And, you know, it's to, to the little details of like, you know, showing characters with like cracks and, and scratches and that kind of stuff and played by fantastic comedians as well. So, yeah, my film is from 2014. And, uh, yeah, I think it sort of ties in well to what we've been talking about. As for me, my film is from 2017. And what I decided to choose for my, uh, for my film is that we have an incredibly chaotic uh, story with not much grounded plot around the idea of somebody's birthday. 
So I wanted to take a film that explores a similar premise, so a film based around a birthday, but look at it at a more darker, sinister sense in terms of the type of stories you can get around somebody's birthday. And also just a little bit more of a, a tense building plot. So David's actually going to be surprised by this, but I've actually chosen something which is slightly more horror themed. So, you have 90 seconds remaining. We are now going to play the countdown timer. And that is the time. So. It's so weird hearing that go for so long. I think that's the longest countdown one I've ever heard. Yeah, it's the longest one you're likely to as well. That's a website I regularly use to play countdown online and it goes up to 90 seconds. So to determine uh, whose pitch that we hear first, just so that we have the uh, idea of fairness that we're not just going to randomly pick. So David, I'm going to let you decide... Who has odds and who has evens? I'll give evens to Sam and odds to Niall. Okay, so if it's evens, Sam, you go first. If it's odds, Niall, you go first. Are you ready? It's one. So that means, Niall, we get to hear your pitch for the film Journey to Swiss Lodge first. Okay, and... Am I am I timed for the pitch? I was or? just about to to bring this up. Uh, I'm going to give you because there's a lot to get in there. Um, <laughs> I think, given we gave you about two minutes to come up with the pitch, I'm going to give you two and a. Uh, I'm going to give you three minutes max. Okay, that's okay. Fair. So your time starts when you say you you say the first word. Okay, so the year is 1986. We're in the city of Zurich in a Swiss bank known as the Swiss Lodge, where in a vault, being opened after many years, they discover a dinosaur egg. The dinosaur hatches, and the bank decides to raise him as their own, naming him after the bank, Swiss Lodge. Cut to modern day. Swiss Lodge is a successful dinosaur banker, but the bank is under threat by the evil Craig Cheval, an evil banker who made most of his money through crooked podcast deals. 
Craig Cheval has invented a Zoom, a device to travel through time to steal artifacts to become even richer and eventually take over Zurich. But the intrepid Swiss Lodge is sucked into a time travel adventure along with his best friend, the bodybuilding raccoon Chad Armstrong and Lysandra, his human love interest, which is really weird. Chasing him is tr- the, the, his rival Trenton, a dinosaur hunter who wants to sell Swiss Lodge to an American museum. So they travel through uh, Pompeii as the volcanoes are erupting. They end up in medieval England during the Black Plague. And eventually they face the evil Craig Cheval on his moon base in the far future, full of his stolen goods. Can Swiss Lodge and friends defeat him? Tune in to Journey to Swiss Lodge to find out. That's my pitch. Okay, so uh, thank you very much. I'm going to... See, what you did there, which was very impressive and which eluded me, was come up with a way that Swiss Lodge could be both a dinosaur and the place to which one could journey. Yeah. (laughs) Clever. (laughs) Okay, so we have one about, I think, the only time somebody's going to cheer for a banker in a film. Fantastic. (laughs) Okay, Sam, are you ready? Uh, Yes. Um, Okay. Okay. Mine doesn't involve time travel. The medieval town and the city are just adjacent to one another and there's no explanation. Sure. Um, so Swiss Lodge, who was a dinosaur, grew up in the medieval town and all he ever wanted to do was, was be a chef in a fancy restaurant, ladies and gentlemen. And he travels to the big city, the city of, of, of Paris indeed, um, in order to achieve that goal. And he gets a job working in the greatest restaurant in all of Paris, but he can't actually cook so his friend a raccoon lives under his chef's hat and actually the raccoon is the one who's a really good chef and he helps the dinosaur cook the food the raccoon is called uh, rakatui is the name of the raccoon yeah um in the restaurant is another dinosaur chef who is called trenton who is both his rival and love interest and she's she's also a she's even she's an even better chef than him, um, but obviously sexual tension flares up whenever they compete. Um, Swiss Lodge hears word of uh, something going down at a nearby volcano. Um, a zoom, indeed, a zoom where an evil uh, animation lecturer, myself, is giving a online lecture from his volcanic base. Um, whereby he's analysing the movie Journey to Swiss Lodge and explaining why it's just a blatant rip-off of the movie Ratatouille. And Swiss Lodge, the dinosaur, isn't happy about this, so he goes to the volcano in order to put a stop to it, to stop it happening, to show up and, and explain why actually his story is a completely original one because he, he's a dinosaur and the guy in Ratatouille wasn't a dinosaur, he was a man and he's got a raccoon under his hat. Um, but then obviously he gets captured in the volcano, he's going to be there. In fact, uh, Sam is going to dissect him live in the Zoom to to show how even his innards... And what? No, that doesn't make any sense. There's going to be an autopsy on the Zoom. I don't know why. And um, obviously, Rakatui, the raccoon, and Trenton, the attractive dinosaur chef, have to journey 
to Swiss Lodge because he's being held in the volcano. There's two separate journey narratives. All the Pixar movies, all the big ones have like journey quest narratives. We've got to get from A to B. This does it twice. So it's it's twice as good as Finding Nemo because <laughs> they do it. <laughs> they go there and then we we'll see some other people go there again. In a really similar journey. It's Finding Nemo and That's... Finding Dory. <laughs> yes, and Ratatouille. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Sam. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. The moment I heard uh, heard the raccoon under the hat, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can guess what this guy's name is gonna be. And lo and behold, <laughs> Raccoon Dory. <laughs> okay. So what what I really liked about that is that. For a while, I was just like, has Sam really just given up on this game and it's just, screw it, I'm going to give the plot of Ratatouille. It's but possible just, it... you wouldn't know this. <laughs> yeah. But then the fact that you basically turned around and turned this into a meta-textual element, I thought, okay, there we go. Uh, I think that's I think that's quite clever. So before we go into my secret rules that neither of them were told, David, what did you think of the pitches? Yeah, they were so both different. Like, I want Niles, like, I, I would love that as the origin of Swiss Lodge, like, of the mascot. Like, he, you know, he's a banker. Like, they found this dinosaur egg. I think it's just such a fun, like, story. I love the villain. Like, what's his name? Craig, Craig Cheval? <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's so elaborate and fun. There's just so many, like, fun details in there. But yeah, I just, it's also the fun meta stuff with Sam's as well. I can imagine it as like that moment in the film of like, you know what you're watching and then like, oh wait, what? And then it's like, I can imagine you just like, they come into this cave expecting this villain and then it's just you there watching TV, like on one armchair and like a small television making notes of what, what they're watching. Do you know what it makes me think of? You know the scene in Spaceballs where they put on the scene for baseball, uh, Spaceballs and they're just, mm. they're do, doing the turning back and forth. I just imagine that's the scene of Journey to Swiss Lodge that you're watching as the dinosaur comes in. Yeah, there you go. It's the scene where he confronts you. Yeah, it's very, it's very, um, very Mel Brooks. It's very, it's it's genius to be honest. Yeah, it'd be like the Matrix, wouldn't it? It'd be like, yes, it's like I'm the architect. No, I didn't make the movie. I'm talking about the movie. I'm I'm analyzing (laughs) it. Yeah, but the matrix five twice as good as <laughs> it's a full title but yeah i love the fun elaborateness of niles as well again like the moon base and going to all these different places the time travel is obviously quite fun as well so yeah they're both both serious contenders i'm quite worried about these secret rules though because i'm assuming they're all like animation cliches and i think mine will probably hit most of them if that's the case so this is what i'm gonna uh, so this is what i'm gonna do i'm basically gonna go through the r- rules that i came up with in reverse order um they're not necessarily anime uh, animated cliches they're more just things i wanted you to avoid so let's just see pitfalls so in terms of who you chose to be the villain i chose one of the four of us that if any of you said that they were going to be the villain i would not be happy and that is David, so both of your films are fine. Mainly, I don't want David to have any power, so there's no way that I would let him be significant to the plot of a movie. Uh, there was me thinking I was the obvious choice <laughs> as the architect. I just thought your surname probably lent itself most to the idea of coming up with some like animated overlord kind of person as well. So, because like, let's look at our surnames. If you go for me and McDonald, that's going to be either a farmer or a clown. Um, which and we've established McDonald, you know, d- farms are homely and used for stop motion. Yeah. If we went with if we went with Summers, that's two 
bright and cheerful. Yeah, X Men as well. Yeah. Scott Summers, lots of and then, Buffy Summers, lots of heroic Summerses. Yeah, and obviously Niall Sam has no idea of what your surname is based on the uh, based on your Zoom. But just remind us all of your surname. That is a uh, Niall Glynn. Glynn, can you honestly? No offense. Can you honestly say? Think of a big baddie called I am Glynn. However, I I I fought the opportunity with with Oscar. Um, because that sounds like it could be quite imperialistic. Like so Oscar. That's why I, exactly, yeah. But I really like what you did with the villain names. Obviously, Sam put it placing yourself much within the narrative because you want to metaphorically and quite literally dissect it. Um, Craig Cheval, I hate people calling me Craig, um, but that wasn't in my so well rules, then. so I can't, well I can't deduct Bonus it. points, bonus points. <laughs> but that's part of your villain origin. Yeah, you found a way to trigger me. I, I'm impressed. <laughs> Okay, the second rule I put in was in terms of the narrative of the locations. What's interesting is I gave you the three locations. I had an expectation of, based on your discussions, obviously this might not necessarily, because you never told me the ending of your films, the sort of location that comes at the end of the city, the medieval place, and the volcano, I chose one that it might be slightly more cliche that that's where you would end your discussion of this film and that area was the volcanic area well which i did do which is what sam unfortunately did do i thought dinosaurs volcano it's the natural conclusion of where they might be wanting to journey to so i wanted to see if you could put a spin on it very Um, bond as well very very bond indeed whereas nile what nile was able to do uh to do was because of the time travel element was able to put the volcanic before the medieval so it was able to sidestep that um and went to a moon base which is also bond yeah <laughs> but what i what i put the rule as as i didn't say your end location as a whole i meant of the three locations where do you where do you end presumably the end of the movie w- uh for your story sam would probably be back in the town oh, you'd be back you'd be back in paris yeah you'd yeah. be back at the restaurant um yeah, they'd have opened up a small restaurant for raccoons above the restaurant. and Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the raccoon because that was the, uh, this is about the final rule. It's about the name of the raccoon. What do you think this rule might have been? Uh, oh, um, yeah, I'll rock, rock anything. But that yes. possibly even just doesn't start with R, which again, I would have failed. That, that is indeed the rule I put in. Do not name your character, your raccoon. <laughs> raccoon something beginning of r so reminder sam <laughs> put a pun in there <laughs> so sam your raccoon was literally called raccoon yeah that's correct yes <laughs> so not only does it start with r it starts with the majority of the word raccoon <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true. whereas whereas now remind us of of your raccoon's name his name was chad armstrong chad Arm- <laughs> well his surname starts with r <laughs> I love that he's a super strong Roku for some reason. <laughs> he's got a past. I, I, <laughs> is he like Stretch Armstrong? Is he like the raccoon equivalent? Of... Did that just come up because Alexander Armstrong was briefly mentioned earlier? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> That's just where my brain went. So he... I think it's Stretch Armstrong. So yeah. Um, so let's look at then how that sort of affected the game. Obviously, we we both said that we love both pitches uh, uh, equally for different uh, for different valid reasons, and that's why it's actually quite good that we had the free secret rules in, insofar as where your creativity can flow. So on the basis of fulfilling 
Uh, two of the forbidden rules as opposed to zero. Uh, I think that's the case of uh, Niall is the winner. Congratulations, Niall. However, what we will do is if you send if you send us after this call a written uh, a write up of both of your plots, we can take to social media to see which is the film that the people <laughs> want to see. So we can see uh, we can see the metaphorical victory as well as the me being pedantic and putting. Uh, basically trying to like screw with you guys we can see we can get some kickstarters going see if they uh if they get made i i don't have a good track record with these animation related uh games that you do because the the shrek no. quiz i did not do well i didn't do badly no no, no you could have won win. it was just it was just the unfortunate thing of you forgot one song in the Shrek uh, in the, Shrek in the big list of the Shrek and like kind of give us the answers earlier. I think or something. You yes, I, some I, did of them do, like, I did do that as well. I think, yeah. I mean, the the I mean, the benefit for you is that the world will never never hear that. Um, oh, so I, I just shouldn't have brought it up then. In that case, we did talk about how what happened during yeah, yeah, when we, we recorded, did. but um, but. Sam, I, I was I was wondering as well with your one when you said about they're back in Paris and they've got the the restaurant. Does that mean then there's like a moment in which they like look at you like sat down at the restaurant and they're like surprise me and like <laughs> oh yes I'm also Anton Igor and they bring yeah. me that's the thing they bring me the movie which reminds yeah. me of an earlier movie that I have seen which is the movie Ratatouille and I have the yeah. Ratatouille Proustian moment except with the movie that reminds me of Ratatouille like his ratatouille reminded him of his mother's ratatouille oh this is brilliant this is excellent and then of course there would be a big dance party why do i feel like if sam won this won this game the film he would have chosen his ratatouille (laughs) i'd love it if the metaphor in your film just ran as far as they literally serve you like a blu-ray disc on a plate and you swallow it (laughs) (laughs) not sure how else to visualize it give him a blu-ray back in a medieval town (laughs) remember wolfwalkers Eat it up. <laughs> so, Niall, congratulations! Uh, congratulations. Uh, obviously, this now means that for the next episode, you get to choose which film we'll be discussing. So, basically, just let us know: is it my choice, David's choices, or do you have a choice of your own based on this episode? Ooh, is this is how it works? Yep. Ooh, it's exciting. I've got one in mind that I think could be fun. Okay. Yeah, so, well, during the podcast, it's funny because Sam mentioned it. I was thinking of, it. maybe if I win, I'll, I'll say Titane and put them through that, which is like a very <laughs> intense French film. But I, it, it almost made me ill, so I don't want to put you guys through that. I know, when I saw that, I was like, if Niall couldn't handle it, I don't know what I'd be like. <laughs> so instead, I'm going to go with another animated film of a very different tone, but also chaotic. I'm going to choose Akira. Because oh. I, was talk- I was talking earlier about anime not really being my bag, but then I remembered, oh yeah, I went to see like the 20th anniversary or whatever 4K of Akira. That was such a bizarre, visceral experience. And I think it'd be a really good chat for you guys. So Not a million yeah. miles away from Titan and its way as well. <laughs> They're on a similar wavelength. Body, body but... horror. Um, yeah. Yeah. And one I was going to mention because I was looking at lists of like, you know, famous animated films or like weird animated films. And that was one which similar to you, Niall, the kind of anniversary made me kind of like watch it for the first time. A lot of people have mentioned Blade Runner recently when we've been talking about films that inspire them and stuff like that. And this has obviously got very much a Blade Runner-esque n- nature to it as well. Um, out of interest, Sam, what was what would have your pick been if we were 
obviously again we can sort of put other options into a, a kind of bag in the future if we have any random picks i well so I, I i was i wanted to pick a stop motion film but i think i don't know a lot of my favorite stop motions well, I, found, I want to pick a movie that you can actually watch and that you wouldn't have to import for like 30 quid on, on DVD, yeah. So, uh, which is what I do. So I, I thought maybe one of my favourite, my favourite stop motion movie that you could probably just buy on DVD is an Australian film called Mary and Max, which is about, I'm getting some nods. So it's about um, a little girl in Australia who becomes pen pals with a autistic man from New York and they send letters back and forth and the ways in which their worlds are depicted in stop motion is very interesting. But then I thought, actually, I want to, I would have said Rango um, because that's a, another animated sort of Western adjacent movie, which people seem to have forgotten about and which indeed won the Oscar for best picture in 2000 and for, for best picture for best animated feature Rango won the Oscar for best picture in 2011 <laughs> have you forgotten uh, <laughs> it, won, it won best animated feature in 2011 and that's a movie that people don't talk about enough despite it being great although actually now that I'm thinking about it it does feature some dodgy depictions of Native Americans as well so and Johnny Depp it's and Johnny Depp yes possibly best avoided in that sense but it's a great film if you ever want to yeah, check that out the, the style of it and like the 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 way of taking like animals in that sense of not Disney yeah, ways yeah, is yeah. fantastic. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And yeah, we look forward to uh, talking about Akira in our next uh, episode. Everyone at home, if you haven't seen Akira already, currently streaming on Netflix uh, for subscribers, but you can also like rent it uh, as well through like your rental services or uh, as Niles mentioned there, they've recently had the anniversary, which means that I think they did a few like Blu-ray uh, DVD re-releases as well, which are fantastic. So go check that out at home. Uh, thank you again, guys, for joining us. So uh, Sam, where can we catch you? What have you been up to? What have you got coming up, which we've you know alluded to uh um, yeah, well, basically at the minute it's the Disneyversity podcast, which is spelled, and I keep having to say this on podcasts, D-I-S-N-I-versity is in university, not as in Disney. D-I-S-N-I, speaking of um, titles that aren't Googleable, as were much earlier on, that's something that's following me around, um, and that is on Twitter. I think it's just at Disneyversity on Twitter. And my personal, uh, yes, it's at Disneyversity. My personal Twitter is at Sam Summers and then the number zero, another thing that I always have to explain on podcasts. Sam Summers zero. I don't know why. Um, You're not Googleable, Sam. You need Googleable. to. <laughs> I, see, I, might, I, I tell the story a lot. I might have even told it the last time I was on here. I'm sure I've told it on the podcast before. When, when I, um, I once thought I would find out who Sam Summers was on Twitter so that I could maybe see if they're not active, maybe I can take Sam Summers instead of Sam Summers Zero. And it was me. It was me from when I was 14 <laughs> starting my first Twitter account when it, Twitter first came out. And then I, I ignored it for years and then forgot I ever had one and went with Sam Summers Zero. So it was like the two Spider-Men pointing at each other. Um, anyway, what was I talking about? Sam Summers Zero. I don't tweet very often, but when I do, it's usually like a 30 tweet thread about animation. So if that's your thing, uh, check that out. Awesome. Similar uh, with yourself, Niall. You got Niall the Glynn and then you got different with the letterbox. So where, where can we catch you? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, so uh, you can catch me as usual on Twitter talking absolute nonsense at Niall the Glynn. Uh, Twitter recently banned me for two hours the other day. It's a funny story for, <gasps> make, for, making a, for making a joke about a video game character who punched a boulder. 
they thought I was encouraging some kind of hateful crime. Against I had to send them a, I had to send them a message saying, I literally made a joke about Resident Evil. Please let me back in. So, when did they do that before? Wasn't did you say did you say something about Trump or something? No, or like, no. Or you were, you said you were like Trump that you got. Like <laughs> no, they banned me the same day as Trump because I had the ah. audacity of promoting the Mandalorians, the greatest ah, crime okay. of all. Oh right, okay. So yeah, hopefully uh, us Mandalorians, speaking of which, hopefully we'll be back soon to discuss some of the Kenobi goodness on its way. Uh, and yeah, on my Twitter you can find links to my letterbox as well if you fancy some very stupid mini reviews and uh, i'm also starting to i'm starting to work with a site called cinerama really good site some really excellent writers there so i recommend giving them a follow and checking out what they're up to and oh and yeah i might just plug because recently i was on my friend's podcast at 250 where they go through the imdb top 250 and they asked me on for the first time for a very topical episode because <laughs> we talked about The Batman, the new Batman film. And yeah, spent a nice three hours chatting all things about that. Uh, interesting variation of opinions on it, which is nice. So yeah, that's uh, that's me. Yeah, I was glad to see I wasn't the only one who was like on a podcast talking about Batman for three hours. <laughs> but yeah, definitely a film uh, worth deep diving into, lots to talk about with it. So yeah. Uh, thank you for both joining us again so go check those guys out on socials Craig anything lastly from yourself this outro would be so much easier if I knew any French <laughs> and I could just speak French right now Cheval oh, no, I don't <laughs> so uh, yeah go check out Akira ready for our next episode if you haven't checked out The Town Called Panic go check that out as well a lot of fun and uh, yeah we look forward to uh, having you join us on the next episode thank you again Sam and Nal We'll catch you you on the next one. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.